27-esque band, The Future of Rock and Roll. Teeny, episode 57. This week, Simone gated up at Liza Minnelli. Steffi got a creepy email from someone who was excommunicated from Mars Hill. And together, they review an instructional film on disabled sex. And now, here are your hosts, Simone Turkington and Stephanie Drury. Hello, Simone. How are you, Dong? I'm Dong very well. Thank you, Stephanie. How are you, Dong? I've had an exciting week. You well, have. I will. I got to see Peter Rollins, and yes. then I got a, that was exciting. Yeah, then I got a gigantic virus on my computer and had to shut it down and go tell the IT guys. At, this is at work that I was clearly doing things on the computer I was not supposed to be doing. That's crazy. I had a, I had a, I had a virus on my work, my computer at work as well. What? Yes. What happened? What happened to it? Nothing. I was just going about my business, and I was looking at a website that Joan had posted on my wall with all these vintage um, uh, flight attendant outfits. And uh, the next thing I know, I keep getting all these pop-up alerts telling me that I need to install this anti-spyware thing. But oh, it's like yeah. the yes is in red, and the, right. the no is in green. So it's like trying to trick you, and I knew it was dodgy, and it was just so relentless that I kept checking no, even though it was trying to be, you know, trick you into saying yes and all the stuff so with the wrong red and green and all that so anyway I was like oh my god what have I done what have I done but I can't believe this is happening to us at the same time yep that's exactly what I did I was like I was like no I do not want that spyware shit oh, you were gonna, it sounds like <laughs> the same is. virus and the windows were like and, but this was I mean at least you were doing the right thing I was trying to torrent the real housewives of New York City on my computer <laughs> <laughs> Well, that serves you right then. <laughs> I bet I, after I got it fixed, I got like two new monitors today, new hard drive, and I went straight to the Real Housewives of New York City oh, and got all caught up. <laughs> you're a bad person. God damn. Oh. <laughs> At least it wasn't for anything dong related. That's true. Yeah. Because God knows I could be getting in trouble for that. One day um, the dong's so... going to hit the fan for us. <laughs> splatter everywhere so you had a really exciting weekend because you went to go see jack white and liza minnelli and i saw all your tweets about him of course i wasn't going to ask you because i wanted to hear about it now so okay who did you see first and what was the venue cool so i saw jack white at the shrine auditorium so it was a last minute thing i knew he was playing but um uh greg i knew knew you know people you know knows Jack White, knows people at, at, at Third Man, so, you know, he emailed them about something else, and then they put him on the guest list, so it was like, on the day, I'm like, you're going to Jack White! Hooray! So, um, <laughs> yeah, so we got to go to the show, and it was really great. They played a bunch of, I uh, played, played a bunch of uh, White Stripe songs, which is good, but I also really like the new album. I have been listening to it a bunch, so, yeah, so it was an all-around great show, and we had well, after passes. Him or- it was him and the band. Oh, like he has two bands. He has a boy band and a girl band. So um, oh, yeah, I didn't so know that. yeah, we got the boy band. I guess the next night was um, was the girl band. So and I found out today they closed That's expensive. the Seven Nation Army. Kind of stupid, if you ask you me. think? Uh, I don't know. I guess I'd have to see that. They look like it was a completely different yeah. set list. So like there was a song on the new album that um, has a girl singing duet with him. So I imagine mm. when the girls play, they do that song. So maybe they do songs that suit having the ladies along uh, when. Yeah. Um, when they're doing the I know it does seem it does seem excessive. It's kind of my thought as well. But you know, I really enjoyed the guy. I, was, I, I said think it would have been Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, excessive. It is. It is expensive. I, I imagine it would be very expensive. But um, anyway, we had after show passes, but we went back. It was just you know, when there's like tons. Like it's, it, that's one of the problems with being in LA. Is this like there's a million so-called VIPs and after show people. So it's just really crowded and hot. Yeah. And you know, he was hiding out in the dressing room. So we just we just had a glass of wine each. And we so it's just yeah yeah it was just a bit too degrading to hang around and hope that the big man comes out you know so yeah so we didn't want to stay but um anyway but the next night yeah we saw liza minnelli at the hollywood bowl ladies and gentlemen the incomparable liza minnelli 
Personators walking around. So what what could I have done, you know? <laughs> and it was so great when we're walking in there, just as we're like going through the turnstile. This guy goes up to me, he's like, "You happy to see Liza? I'm so excited!" Oh. <laughs> and he just squealed, and I was like, "Oh God, this is worth the price of admission alone." So good. And Did he just like himself. pay that guy to say that to every single person as he walks in? Because that seems like that should be part of the ticket price. I know, right? <sighs> oh, God. And he also he introduced himself, and his name was Linwood. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then when we were in the we were in the in the um, in the little uh, snack shop to buy some, we bought a bottle of wine and some chips and a bag of chips was $6.50 it was so fucking expensive wow yeah anyway and they had these little cakes in like a push pop type plastic thing so you could just sort of tidily eat it at your seat and they were by a bakery called Crumb Fairy and then these two gay guys were standing right next to me going Crumb Fairy they know their audience <laughs> <laughs> wow so yeah, so um, and so when we got to our seats, there was a whole row of gay guys behind us. And at first, I was like, I can't believe I'm sitting in, in front of a row. I'm sitting, you know, right in front of a row of gay guys. But then I realized this probably isn't a seat in the whole house that isn't in front of them. or behind a row of gay guys. Like you know, it was of course I was there. So anyway, you were encrusted um, in gay guys. You were encrusted in gay guys. It was fabulous. So um, anyway, uh, so we're waiting, waiting. It was supposed to start at eight and it didn't start. And then there was an announcement over the PA saying that there were technical problems. And then Greg goes, glug, glug, glug. <laughs> <laughs> and then this lady sitting in front of us goes, oh, just bring her out in a wheelchair. <laughs> it was so great. And so we're still waiting, waiting. We're drinking this bottle of wine this whole time. And it's nice and balmy out, and then um, and then Liza comes on over the PA. She's like, "Guys, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm supposed to come out, but they're telling me there's technical problems and problem with the mic, and I just can't wait to get out there." And you know, and then she's like, "I'll see you in a minute." And then Greg said to me after that, "This is the best decision of our lives." <laughs> This is great hearing this because I was seeing all the tweets about it. Like Jen Kirkman was tweeting from there, and I was, like getting your report about Greg's commentary. I'm like, yeah, this is almost like being there. It, yeah, seriously. So I mean, I mean, this is all before like Greg's saying that before we've even she's even come on stage. You know, we're already right. like, oh my god, this is so excellent. Oh, that's when he's in his prime. Like when we were like waiting for NXS and um, Bow Wow Wow. Like that was like the best, the funniest set I've ever seen in my life. And his commentary <laughs> leading up to the people coming True. out because you're like he's talking about all the people there he's talking about you know what people are wearing and i don't know if they had like a scrolling thing where you could text something like oh yes (laughs) just remember that that was excellent yes he's very good at filling in that dead time um so so anyway well liza finally came out and um and uh yeah she i pretty much didn't hardly knew any of the songs i think i knew like cabaret and new york new york and the rest were just you know all these other tunes that I'd, I'd never heard in my life. But that didn't matter at all because, you know, it's Liza just, you know, and her voice was just all over the map. But that doesn't stop her because she's just giving it her all, you know? So like, she does this, she keeps this up for maybe five songs, I think, and then she's like, she can't handle anymore. And she takes her shoes off and she's like, sorry, I have to take my shoes off. And then, and then she, um, and then she had to sit in a chair and she said, excuse me, I have a broken shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so the show must go on. And, um, and, uh, oh yeah, and then later she said, I've broken my knees, both my hips, my shoulder. From here up, I'm Dorothy's daughter. From here down, I'm the Tin Man's. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. How old I is know. she now? She's like, she's 66. 80. 66, oh. <laughs> that's it. She's just fucked up from 
you know, from drugs and drink, you know. So um, remember the David Guest years? That was like the best. Oh my God, that picture of her and David Guest's wedding with Michael Jackson and Elizabeth Taylor. I kept that magazine because I'm like, this is the biggest fucking freak show imaginable. He looks like a ventriloquist dummy. He does. Oh my God, that guy was terrifying. But um, the whole time she was um, she was drinking. She's drinking out of this mysterious cup and people would cheer when she would drink from the cup like everybody knew and just to prove that it wasn't water she asked for water at some point which would which proved that the other cup did not have water in it because she wouldn't have asked for it otherwise yeah Yeah. i'm sure it was alcohol so anyway yeah so she um yeah she was just you know she was complete miss you know doing most of the show from her chair she'd get up and do a little (laughs) dance every now and again but um but yeah but you know, like people didn't see that. The people, I think, are just inspired by how she just keeps on, you know, and just the, oh, yeah. you know, the power of her voice, you know. So it doesn't matter that it's kind of all over the map because people are just speechless. You could just hear people talking about it afterwards and just blown away. So yeah, Liza delighted everyone who was there. I believe I can't imagine anyone would have been disappointed for whatever reason they went. So the whole oh, gay yeah. appreciation of Liza is, is very layered because it's it's not like they don't see what I see, what we see in mm-hmm. terms of the, the train wreck but they love it and they'll also like sincerely be moved by it you know what i mean so yep. yeah it's a fascinating uh, dynamic we actually googled one night trying to find out why do gay guys love liza and you know <laughs> garland and all these divas and yeah and there was all these in-depth explanations for it i, I should fish it out and talk more about it but yeah it's it's, it's pretty layered and interesting so if she did sing this song i missed it because i had to pee because i drank all that wine but um and i was probably I too drunk to, mention, to focus um that Ryan, listener Ryan, went to go see Ch- um, Carol Channing a couple years ago, and he wrote in his blog, he goes, she was rickety and amusing, in that order. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed for like 10 minutes. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then the opening act was like, we're magicians, and he goes, I can't say anything nice about them, so I'll just say they certainly were on stage. <laughs> oh, I love that type of Definitely. I think I saw that where he wrote that. It was great. You might have. It's been a couple of years, but I, I remember it like it was yesterday, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how did the night end with um, Liza? Oh, she said she had to take a red eye to go to some funeral in New York, so she was like apologizing, like that's why she had to get off stage. There was no encore. It was just sort of a stretched out New York, New York, and then oh, that's uh-huh. it. Then all the musicians took a bow, and then she sang something god what did she sing now i can't remember i think i knew what she sang but she sang something to close just uh, a cappella and then that was it and then she left mm. yeah so um yeah it was it was it was pretty remarkable so i i mean and while it was going on i leaned over to gray and we there were screens there luckily so even though we were really far away because we just got cheap tickets like the day before um you know we could see i actually ha- I had my contacts in and they were kind of blurry but they were good enough but not good enough to see liza so i actually took my contacts out and put my glasses on so I could see better because the facial expressions on her are like so so part of it you know so uh and I leaned leaned over to Greg at one point and I said next time let's pay $200 a piece to just be up close (laughs) like I wanted to do it again already before it was even done so Liza's in your town just do it you won't be sorry for whatever reason you want to go You had an exciting weekend. I did have an exciting weekend. So, um, yeah, no, and before all that happened, um, I, on Friday, I did an interview with, uh, with Skip Elsheimer from AV Geeks, and in the interview that uh, I am, we are about to play, um, I already explained more about him, but, uh, when we were at Skip's house, Skip has a large collection of, uh, um, industrial and educational films and Stephanie and I were there and we got to see a film called Choices Uh, (laughs) yes and and it was the best thing I've ever seen in my life yes And we're not really allowed to even talk about it. We're allowed to talk about it, but Skip is not showing that. He bought that film on eBay. He's never putting it out because it's just, I think, too exploitative. Yeah, you don't realize how privileged we are to have seen that film. So the film is about people with disabilities. Um, It's showing them that they can have a a healthy, productive sex life. So it's people with spinal cord injuries, cerebral palsy, all this kind of stuff. So they're not just talking to you about it. They're showing it. They're actually showing people 
with disabilities um, having sex. So Skip put it on and put a timer on it and was like, you know, when the, if you can't take it, we'll turn it off. But the timer went off and Stephanie and I were like, don't stop it. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, don't you dare touch that. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna deny there was there was a sick sick voyeurism element to it, but um, I mean I I want to see anything that's I, you know I'm, how can I not be curious about that you know I'm not I, I didn't feel exploitative and the thing with it was I got a really a sweet thing about it you know I really liked that it was you know I'm not gonna say I did as I said I didn't have a, a, a sick you know curiosity for it but I more than that I think I took on took from it how nice it was that these people were not miserable and feeling sorry for themselves because they were disabled they were like you know plowing on so to speak <laughs> and yeah so yeah they so, certainly were they certainly were plowing and, uh, and remember- it was um kind of like late 70s early 80s i think is important to say yes <laughs> yes i think it was late with, like 70s. the film quality and the set decoration yes yes <laughs> and remember there was that one woman who um she was paralyzed from the waist down and her partner was able-bodied and so she would mostly just sort of you know she couldn't like you know because they could do oral and all other kinds of things to pleasure each other but um but he could when it came to just you know vaginal intercourse he could only like just fuck her but when she would start having an orgasm her like pelvis would just start start pulsating like involuntarily and it was like right on (laughs) i why don't i remember that i I don't know the able-bodied woman with the guy who yeah. I think had a spinal injury. I remember that. Yeah, I was that's, like, that's, that's the one I was talking about. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying that the the woman. I was like, yeah, I don't remember her being yeah. paralyzed from the waist down and coming. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, that was nuts. I remember. I was like, I think that's the only real female orgasm that's ever been recorded on film. <laughs> really zoomed <laughs> real. <sighs> and so, Phil was uh, Skip was so apologetic. I remember during it, he's like, "Is this okay? Are you guys okay with this?" And yes, we were very okay. And uh, I'm glad he's real. protective of it, though. Like, it's, yeah, he has integrity. No. Good for him. He, good for him indeed. So, so Skip, uh, you know, collects all these films of varying. You know, this is one of the more you know peculiar ones, shall I say? But yeah, they they have a whole range of topics. You know, health education and you know industrial films. You know, workplace safety, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so. Um, I conducted this interview with Skip, and uh, here it is. Just before lunch one day, a puppet show was put on at school. It was called Mr. Bungle Goes to Lunch. It was fun to watch. In the puppet show, Mr. Bungle came to the boys' room on his way to lunch. He looked at his hands. His hands were dirty, and his hair was messy. But Mr. Bungle didn't stop to wash his hands or comb his hair. He went right to lunch. (laughs) Then, instead of getting into line at the lunchroom, Mr. Bungle pushed everyone aside and went right to the front. Even though this made the children laugh, no one thought that was a fair thing to do. Then in the lunchroom, Mr. Bungle was so clumsy and impolite that he knocked over everything, and no one wanted to sit next to him. And when he finally knocked his own tray off the table, that was the end of the puppet show. The children knew that even though Mr. Bungle was funny to watch, he wouldn't be much fun to eat with. Phil knew that a Mr. Bungle wouldn't have many friends. He wouldn't want to be like Mr. Bungle. Our guest today is Skip Alzheimer. He's the founder of AV Geeks. Um, Over the last 20 years, Skip has amassed a collection of 24,000 16mm educational and industrial films. And it's the largest such collection. Is it in the world, Skip, or is it in this hemisphere? Um, That's a good question. I know that there are other collectors out there I, as far as personal archives mine is probably in the top two or three nice um there's na- you know national archives and library of congress have lots and lots more films but right 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 well stephanie and i've had the pleasure of uh, uh of actually visiting uh, this miraculous ar- archive in raleigh north carolina and so we're very excited to share this experience with you our dear listener and uh, the wonders of this treasure trove of learning so skip welcome to the program thank you 
So um, now you have twenty-four thousand films. Now, do you have, do you have to reinforce reinforce the floor in your house? Because twenty-four thousand film canisters are fucking heavy. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. And uh, yes, I had to put up special things. Uh, basically, I use I use this house used to be a boarding house. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so I bought the house because it had eight bedrooms. Right. And um, so yeah, I immediately started piling films in there. And then at some point I had an engineer look at it and he said, yeah, you'll, you'll want to shore those floors up because it's kind of <laughs> heavy. <laughs> a lot of heft amongst all those films. So, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I've been in there. It's amazing. Just, oh, it's it's a sight to behold. So um, um, hopefully we'll put some pictures up on the website so uh, people can see. Um, now, where did this start? Obviously, you already had the thing going before you start, bought this house. So at what point did you start collecting these? I would say it's it's almost been twenty years. Um, I'm I'm not so great with years. Um, and what started I think it? I, yeah, it was kind of like in the mid '90s that uh-huh. I started collecting, and I don't think I realized that I was in deep collecting until it was too late. So it was, <laughs> um, it was at first it was like, oh, this is a fun hobby, but then at some point I was like, wow, I filled up this house that I'm renting. Each bedroom is filled up with films, and I need to find a place that I can buy. Right. Um, so, um, yeah. So it was way too late to stop at that point, I think. Yeah, when you're already you're buying, you're already, like, now you're looking for a place with multiple rooms for this. It's, yeah, clearly it's yeah. on. Um, now, have you ever had any, you know, you've got all kinds of video films from, you know, various companies and corporate films and stuff like that. Have you ever had any companies contact you and they're concerned about what these videos represent in their, in their, in their company's past? Uh, not yet. Um, that's, that's kind of interesting. I think that a lot of these companies, they're so forward thinking um, that they don't really think about the past. Right. And, um, I haven't found anything that's t- totally embarrassing. I mean, almost everything that I have kind of falls within what was the social norms. I mean, and right. certainly there were some social norms that were just not appropriate when you look at them in hindsight. But uh, it's, I think that most companies, they're okay with it. But it, it could just be that I'm still so far under their radar that they just don't know about it yet. And right. at some point, I'll probably, you know, black helicopters will appear and, you know, people from... And now you have something like how, what percentage have you actually seen? Because you've kind of seen all of them, and, and like, does it overwhelm you? Do you feel like, fuck, I'm never gonna see all these, or are you okay with that? How, how what's your feeling about all that? Well, I mean, that's that is something. It's because out of twenty four thousand, I've maybe only seen five thousand. Right. And I'm getting new films all the time. Yeah. So. In in uh, this year alone, I'm averaging getting a new film every day. Oh shit! Yeah. So. So is there a sense of it, like, oh, you know, sh- do you feel like, like oh shit? Or are you glad? <laughs> well, it's it's fascinating, you know, and certainly not every single film I have duplicates and and all that. But yeah, I could sit and watch these films for a long period of time. Yeah. Um. And yeah. Um. So yeah, there's probably going to be some films when I die that I haven't seen yet. Um, yes, yeah. but that's okay. I'm all right with that. That's good. That's good. You need to. Be, you'd go crazy if you weren't at peace with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, I I went to school. You know, my elementary, primary school years were in the 80s, and by then we were watching our films on on VHS. So the mm-hmm. whole reel to reel thing, I didn't actually experience. Um, do you collect VHS as well? Like, is it the is the, the type of film that you're collecting? I gotta or is it... I gotta draw a line somewhere. Right, I, uh, right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's there's some great stuff that's only on VHS. Or or, uh, there was a format that was before that called Umatic. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a lot of great stuff that came out during that time period, but I just don't have the space. And so I, I'm opening... Basically, whoever else wants to collect that, please feel free, because that's something... Actually, video is more endangered than film, because oh, right. the, the, the players are going away. I mean, now it's getting harder and harder to find VHS decks yeah. that are decent. So... Yeah, so that's a yeah. whole other thing for somebody else to take on. Right, right, right. Um, and, and at what point did the 16mm films, where, where was the transition point between uh, between like the 16mm and that other format uh, and then on to VHS? Like at what point does your timeline of, of your films kind of end? Well, it's, it's interesting. There's this w- weird kind of gray area where 
you see films, and these happen in the late 80s and 90s, you'll see films that originally were shot and edited on video, uh-huh. and then they transferred them to film. Ah. Um, because they knew that still not everybody had um, had videotape. Right. Had some sort of video player. So they were kind of hedging their bets, knowing that, oh, okay, well, we can make this available on film, and we know that most school systems have that. Right. Um, What's really interesting is the times where I've seen something that was originally shot on film, then transferred to video, and then shot, then transferred back to film. Oh. It makes a really weird kind of textury, strange, strange thing. And yeah. and I've also seen like Disney did that a lot. Disney in the 80s and 90s, they were still making a lot of money making educational films, but they would just re-edit uh, stuff that they had done in the 60s. Right. And so they would do that where they would transfer it to film. From film to video, they would re-edit it. They would add these extra sequences that kind of update whatever their message was, and then they would bump it back to film. And so, and did it, that it work? Just, did looked, those convey? Like, the, did those feel contemporary at the time with all this old footage, or did it seem dated? Or no, they they were pretty sensitive about that. So they they really did kind of pull out. And you know, mostly what they were doing is they're capitalizing on the animation. So right. they would just use you know the animated bits, which didn't weren't really um, dated. No, and then they would beautiful. kind of do a wraparound with them. I see. Um, now, uh, have you ever tried to find any people who have appeared in these films, or have you stumbled upon them, or have you had any interactions with any any people, like from some of your your favorite uh, films? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and it's it's one of the reasons I like to get the films out there, like put them online. Uh, or you know, put them on DVD. Is that they do some, somehow make their way to the people that were in the films, mm-hmm. and they're super excited to see that these films have a new life. So nice. I've met filmmakers who've made the films. I've met people that were in the films. Um, it, like in one case, it was an entire uh, elementary school that um, or classroom that basically was featured in a film, and uh, I made copies of it for them for their hi- for their high school reunion. That's so cool. Um, you know, it's awesome, awesome things like that. And the reason why this is fascinating to me is because a lot of these films, were, they weren't made in Hollywood. They were made all over the United States by regional yeah. filmmakers. Yeah. And so you get to see all these different parts of the U.S. And you get to see all these different people. And you get to hear all these these accents, and these regional accents on how people talk. And it's, so yeah. it's kind of fascinating. And, that's and a lot of non-actors. Like <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, yeah, a lot of non-actors, basically. Yeah, a lot of just... All right, you know, and where kids are like, just approached like, okay, today we're going to shoot a film in your classroom, um, you know, and they're like, really? Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Know, something, something. There's no way you could do nowadays, I'm sure. Yeah, and those people that become such stars, like the Telezonia film, which is one of right. one of my all-time favorites. Like, you know, just that whole scene, that neighborhood, those kids, the guy Telly, the the main character who teaches the kids how to use the telephone. That's, you know, it's just like Telly from Telezonia. It's like, you know, he's like a rock star in my world. Well, and, he, and I do she, see him come up. Like, I look him up occasionally on uh, IMDb, and I see he's doing things. Like, he was in that TV show, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's right. He Somebody told it. me about that. I have to find that episode. Yeah, he plays a a, a, a kind of demented jockey. Nice, because he, so he, he still does appear to be a short small stature. stature. Yes, yeah. yes. He, he was also in uh, in um, the strange case of Benjamin Button. Too. Oh, wow! Yeah. So he's got quite the career. Yeah. And that was an LA one because we we live in the neighborhood where that's filmed. We we know it's oh, around yeah. here somewhere. Awesome. So yeah, we're trying to spot the exact location. I think Greg thinks that if we find the house, we will end up in Telezonia. <laughs> he really wants to find the house. I'm like, you barely see it. It's all in the studio in Telezonia. But <laughs> um, now, did you know that um, the ABC of Sex Education for Trainables has a very important role in mine and Stephanie's friendship? I don't know if we told you about this. No, I but, did not um, know that. Yeah, well, I, we already, I already had the DVD um, that you had put out that had that on it, and I loved it, and I was obsessed with it, and I would show people all the time. And then when Stephanie and I were first friends, she found a YouTube video of just a portion of it, and she posted it on my uh, on my MySpace page. We were just starting to become friends then, but she put that on there like, you've got to see this. I'm like, uh, I already have this. DVD, like it's just this real bonding moment that she knew I would want to see it. I already had the DVD, and we were like, "Wow, we're kindred spirits who really like this fucked up shit." So yeah, that's, that's that, hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that totally explains a lot. 
It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. What's funny is that happens to me where people are like, oh, you have to totally see this. And I'm like, well, yeah, I actually, I, that's my film. I put yeah. it online <laughs> like, like three years ago. Such a nice feeling. It's a warm, fuzzy yeah. feeling. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Um, now, um, now, just a few episodes ago, I was on actually complaining about Kickstarter campaigns and people guilting their friends to donate to crummy projects. But if I wasn't clear before, I'm not against the idea of this sort of funding. I was against people guilt-tripping and hounding their friends just with stuff that's really only to benefit them and their shitty band that, you know, has like right. 12 fans. Um, but, but stuff like what you're doing with the broad interest and that people, you know, that that that's that's a whole other thing, and and that's why I, I wholeheartedly support this. And so your fundraiser, um, and I've just donated to it myself. And um, this differs from most of them because because it's, it has such great cultural and historical significance. It's like donating to a museum. So, listener, that's why I'm 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 bringing Skip to you and promoting this project because because these are amazing films. And and Skip, do you want to talk about the project and explain uh, uh, what the deal is? Well, it's um, basically what's going on is uh, I'm raising money to digitize my own films. Um, and I know that sounds weird. I mean, I have the equipment to do it. I have the films to do it. But what I don't have is the time to do it. Right. And so what we're doing is kind of blocking out some time in the slow period, in, you know, um, in my work schedule to take these films that are we think are pretty important and that are also in, in the public domain mm-hmm. and put them online so that people can watch them, enjoy them, they can research them, they can use them in music videos, they can use them for documentaries, whatever. Um, and so I'm raising money just to kind of pay for the, the time that it takes me to do that. Right. And um, also, besides that, you know, getting this stuff online, you also get things like T-shirts or, you know, DVDs or, you know, whatever. You get the normal stuff that you would get. But, you know, right off the bat, um, we've been able to digitize. We're at almost at 20 miles of footage now, which is more than 40 hours worth of stuff that's going to go online. And, and we're actually going through Indiegogo, which is subtly different than Kickstarter. And yep. with Indiegogo, we get the money even if we don't raise our goal of 100 miles. So you can do at least what the money uh, allows exactly. you to do. Right. And we, and we can do it now. We don't have to wait to the end. Right. So, so we've already started. Like, you know, like two weeks into the project, I was like, all right, well, we've got enough that we can really get started now. And so we've been able, when people donate, then... They can directly see. They don't have to wait for, you know, you know, this and that. And, you know, it's like literally, you know, when we get the money, then we start digitizing something. And what's also kind of cool is that people that donate uh, get to help pick what gets digitized and put online. Oh, my so, God, yes. Now I can vote now that I've donated. Uh, yes. The, the, uh, what is it? Adventuring Pups? I have to see this movie. It's about beagles lost in the forest. <gasps> I'm so oh, yeah. fucking excited. I saw oh, yeah. that. I nearly started weeping when I saw that listed on the Facebook page. Adventuring yeah. Pups. Oh, yep. God. It's it's on the list. People have voted for it, and it's definitely on the list. So oh, thank that, God. That's what's exciting is that, you know, I've got 1,500 films yep. um, and titles and, you know, brief descriptions. And so people can pick what they like, that what they want to see. And that's been kind of fun and liberating. And it's been super exciting for me because... Honestly, some of these films I haven't seen in 15 years. Wow. I, you know, I got them. I was like, wow, this is a really great film. I'd love to show it. But I've never had an opportunity to put it on a DVD or, you know, to put it on a show. And so this gives me the ability to showcase a bunch of stuff that I've never been able to show before. And some of this stuff I've never even seen before. I mean, I had the titles, but I've never seen it. So there's a quite a few films that I'm watching for the first time and sharing them, you know, quickly after that. That's great. So, you see, listener, if you uh, care about this type of uh, preserving this type of material and having it available to everybody, it's, it, it is like uh, like a museum type project. So, I I, I highly uh, recommend that you uh, you uh, donate. So, you can visit avgeeks.com, and uh, and from there you can link to uh, to the uh, to the fundraiser for uh, converting the hundred miles of film. So, uh, thank you, Skip, so much for joining us today. And thank I you, hope Simone. you meet your goal. And if not, I look forward to seeing whatever else you get done from what you do raise. Right. You know, that's what's so great. You know, even if I don't make the goal, we'll there's all get still going to be 40 hours worth of new stuff online. So, that's what's really exciting about this. 
Excellent. It's open till August 31st, correct? That is correct. Cool. Well, thank you, Skip. All right. Thank you, Simone. Take care. Bye. So my husband David was in LA with you last week. Well, I guess he was down there to work, but um, he got to hang out with you. I guess at least you guys got lunch. I don't know. I was jealous that all sucked. (laughs) Nothing's fair in life. But anyway, um, so the night before that, he said he was down to see. um, He oh okay, this was a coincidence. The guy, the bass player in his band, Phil Peterson, was down there recording, and our friends Eric Hawk and Ben Clark, they were in this band called The Lashes up here but uh, so they called themselves Eric Lashes and Ben Lashes was kind of what we called them but they were there too and they had um, gotten a room at the standard and uh-huh. um, so they're like you need to come on down and um, when you come down to the bar though go up and tell the maitre d guy that you're here for the mm-hmm party oh. <laughs> David's like is this a joke and he, he <laughs> so he goes up and he <laughs> says it though to the guy he goes <laughs> he says he felt really stupid I'm here for the mm-hmm party the guy's like right this way and like took him through this like little maze of like sloping downward you know corridors like, going down 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 ended up in this like rad you know wood paneled leather couches deer heads kind of den with like tons of people in there and it felt really really old school and he said it was super awesome and that's where the mm-hmm party was <laughs> and so you know ben and Phil and eric are there going hey, you know He's like, it's just so weird to see these people you only know from Seattle, you know, in the mm-hmm club. Yes, yes. <laughs> in a totally different city. So I thought that was kind of awesome. That yeah. and, and not seeing you made me the most jealous about him being there. But when you, when you, when you said he had to ask about the mm-hmm party, I was hoping he would at least ask one person who didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Like when Steve Sanders and <laughs> Andre were trying to get into that party with an egg and they had to like present an egg uh, on 90210. <laughs> they had to give an egg to a convenience store and the guys... And the woman's like, I need to return an egg. And she's like, uh. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad for his sake that, uh, that the first person he told knew what the mm-hmm party was. But uh, I would have liked some uh, discomfort for my purposes. <laughs> you should have brought an egg and seen if they would have remembered that episode yes. of <laughs> So, um, Peter Rollins was here still last week. That, yes. You know, we talked about him on the last episode and getting to hear him talk about his um, views on religion and philosophy and emergent Christianity. And he calls it Christianity. It sounds like Kirstie Alley every time he says it with his <laughs> Irish accent. But anyway, um, so we were texting and, and he's like, I can hang out Thursday afternoon. So we went over and got him. And the place he's staying at is at Matt Hassel, Matt Hasselbeck's condo in downtown Bellevue. And Bellevue's on the east side. And we never go over there. And we really hate it. And it's it feels like Dallas-Fort Worth, like just right downtown. And, right. Um, it just, yeah. Ugh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just a hard place for me to be. And he's like, yeah, my friend has this condo. And, and you know, he has access to it, to Matt Hasselbeck's because. Um, Matt goes to his church or something so he just gives him the keys and and he's like it's kind of embarrassing you know I'm from Northern Ireland like this really poor part of the, <laughs> of the world and, and I'm staying here in this ridiculous place as an elevator and you know it's clear he doesn't live here this is just one of his properties you know but um, we went in there and um, well you did offer had, your sofa <laughs> I did offer my sofa they which he for some reason didn't want to yes. take up even though I said you know I was upfront about the fact that it has dried semen and kid vomit all over it but <laughs> I know, you know right? Northern Irish ass wasn't down with that. So um, we went into Matt Hasselbeck's place, and he's like, "You have to see the secret, secret compartment behind the bookshelf," you know. And so he pulls the bookshelf, and it's like, "Freak!" And there's a little secret room back there, like a panic <gasps> room, and there's a safe in it, and it was so awesome. And he's like, "He's like, check out this coffee maker," and um, it was this gigantic coffee maker, like took up like half of a wall, and it looked it had cabinets built in around it. But they took they looked for all the world like mid-century speaker cabinets around this like gorgeous espresso thing that like ground the beans right there, and you just press the button for whatever you want. Wow. <laughs> so that was the most exciting part probably of the house. 
So anyway, we were, you know, we talked for a little while and then we had to go back into Seattle and um, our kids were at Dawn's apartment and she, she has a really rad kind of loft, she and her husband DW, right down by the stadiums and it's not zoned to live in, but they do anyway. Because <laughs> 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 it's got great light and she's and she does art, she teaches art and <clears throat> has a little studio there. So Peter like looked at all her stuff and she's talking about her, her new feminism exhibit she's working on and I kind of got lost. She talks over my head about all this all this art stuff and but um that was really cool they were talking for a while about that and um we ended up going to get chinese food in the international district so um that was kind of excellent but he was he was being so cute and hilarious with the kids and he taught them a magic trick and um yeah so i put that i put a clip of that on facebook and it's really adorable because he's like showing my 10 year old and my seven year old how to make this coin disappear you know and then it appears as a magician him, so. i resented that he was uh sharing uh, showing the trick i knew yes. that he didn't like that i saw i saw i watched half of it and then i had to it was right before i was doing the interview skip i was like oh shit i have to go but uh i saw the part where he almost said i i'm not supposed to tell you but uh or i'd have to adopt you <laughs> <laughs> They'd have to go Aww. live with him. But uh, yes, uh, don't share our secrets, Peter, please. Um. <laughs> it was really, yeah, it was, <laughs> I was like, someone was not going to like that. <laughs> breaking the magician code. Totally. But um, it was just, it was really fun because we don't talk a whole lot about the philosophy, religion stuff, but, um, you know, it kind of came up because I just gotten an email that day from a guy who, who was saying to me, he goes, when did you become comfortable with doubt? He goes, because... You know, I was raised Christian, and now I'm an atheist, but um, I'm still not comfortable with, like, with not knowing. Right. <laughs> He's like, so, so when did you become comfortable with it? And, and I was telling Peter how I, my response was kind of like, well, I, I, I was really uncomfortable with it until I was about 35, and now I'm, I'm only, you know, pretty uncomfortable with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, and for some reason, Peter really liked that, but um, I was like... I, but I was try- kind of trying to explain to this guy, I was like, it, it's more like it, your options open up. You're like, well, what if it's not this way? And just, you know, and it's difficult to, and scary to, to kind of, to hold it in that, in that way when, um, you're not used to it. You know, it's nothing you're used to. So I, I don't know when it gets easier, but I go, I think it's better this way. I think I'm happier this way. And I think stuff is more interesting this way. So. Definitely more interesting. <laughs> That's for sure. How can, um, how can how can yeah I think yeah being curious about stuff uh, once you have an answer then you're no longer curious you know it's like the whole anticipation yeah. is better than realization you know and you're just waiting yeah. waiting 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 for something like a concert or something and then you get it and it's the best but That's then like so there's like a whole loss Peter that keeps, comes with yes. not not having that to look forward to anymore. It's like, well, that's done. Like, yeah, I think that's what a lot of my so. Supercross morning yeah. is about is because, like, I don't have that thing to look forward to anymore. You know what I mean? And the music is still exactly. there, but I miss that, 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 that comfort I had that they were always going to be there. So, yeah. That's totally it. And um, Peter brings up all the time in his lectures and stuff that Oscar Wilde quote, the only thing worse than getting what you want is not, or, <laughs> sorry, the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you're just once you have it, you're like, damn, like that's over with. Him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this thing I had this in my head, this fantasy worked up, and you know, it's it's not what it was. So. But also, if you thought you would, if you knew it was a ruse and that you were never actually going to get it, I think, I think that would be hard too, because then you'd be like, well, this isn't yeah. even this isn't even real. I'm not even really looking for something because it, it can't be found. Like looking for the end of a rainbow or something. It's like I'm not looking for that. That just yeah. doesn't exist, you know. Yeah. So you know, like I, I I couldn't be searching for something I didn't think was possibly there, you know. So right, I think that, right. I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah, and so he's like kind of deconstructing all that and going, what if there is something there that you know, within where we don't think that there is something? What if there is? And he's like, and where we think there is something, what if there isn't? That's kind yeah. of what his his talks center around. And they're they're freaky <laughs> to listen to, and because I know I know it's a common philosophical guy. I think they call it the the ethical veil of ignorance or something, where you try to erase everything that y'all your preset, you know, everything you've kind of presumed up to that point or been taught or said you believe. It's like you know, kind of like okay, just to consider this and try to forget this. You know, we know you can't, but just for the sake of the argument, you know, imagine yeah. this and. So Wherever you're yeah, coming from, you, it's hard to, to let go of what you came in with. You know, it's oh, very so hard, hard to, you know, I mean, you know, so I mean, all, so much of our emotional problems are from, you know, just cognitive, you know, you know, programming that's wrong and just telling us 
bad things about ourselves and you know what i mean so i mean that's yes. you know deep in your psyche is hard to break so even consciously these things are not very hard habits to to break in terms of how you yes. approach any of this stuff but um that's just it but in uh, so i read i actually read um peter's latest book um uh, how not to talk to god and um, how not to speak of god <laughs> how not to speak to, to how not to speak to god i think it is yeah how not to speak of god is it of god yeah, it's up, God. Okay. Um, yeah. not, no, I'm not trying to be nitpicky. I just think that. Oh no, 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 no! Believe <laughs> me, I, I would like to write the correct answers. So um, I'm so bad like that. Like I'll, I'll read a book and then not remember the title. Like if it's too long. I know me too. <laughs> oh, what? Uh. But I got a lot out of the content, if nothing of the cover. So. <laughs> <laughs> Was it on Kindle, so you didn't have a cover, or does it just have a crappy cover? Yes, it was on Kindle. That's why. Okay. I pretty much, and often when even when you get a book, it, it doesn't even show you the front cover. You have to make the choice to like see the the cover of it. No and album art. It's there. It's there, but you have to choose to go to it. When you open the book, it'll start oh, on the on the first page. So, oh, um, weird. Yeah, so that's why it's it's easy to, to forget the title, uh, and that's my excuse, and I'm sticking yeah. to it. Thank you. That's for a good excuse. That for me. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so I read that and I also read, um, uh, not seeming to get this title incorrect as well. And this is no excuse because I read the, the actual book of it. It was um, uh, taking the Bible series, oh no, reading the Bible again for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. taking the, and then the subtitle was uh, Taking the Bible Seriously but Not Literally by Marcus Borg. So um, yeah, because, you know, I'm always getting these discussions with people on your comment threads and, and talking about religion and stuff. And, you know, I mean, I had a very wishy-washy, you know, biblical upbringing you know even though it was christian and uh you know so you know you know i've I've got sort of the the you know the cherry-picked bits and pieces you know and and with all this like gay marriage stuff going on people always like pulling out the oh well if you're against gay marriage you know then you know you shouldn't be eating shellfish and all this kind of stuff you know and i'm like well i would like to know more about the overall bigger picture so i you know reading things to sort of give me a better big picture so i'm not even after reading that book the the marcus borg book i'm not comfortable making that um that uh, that statement anymore because it's it's just very half baked because I know a lot of people will say oh well it's, you don't need that it's you know the the New Testament says it and Paul you know seems to you know go with that in the New Testament but he's also against he's also for women being subservient so you know that that can be your argument you know what I mean that you know right. well if you're, you're going to go with what Paul said well Paul also said this so let your husband yep. do all the anti gay marriage talking for you bitch shut the fuck up and get back <laughs> in the kitchen <laughs> okay Mark Driscoll whatever you say no problem so. Anyway, yeah, so, you know, I, I just wanted to have more of a foundation and know what I was talking about, you know, so not that I'm going to get that from two books, but anyway, yeah, so, um, <laughs> no, but yeah, but I really appreciated I getting that. more of that, um, more of that perspective of, uh, because, you know, from Marcus Borg's perspective, it's, you know, so much of it isn't literal and a lot of allegory, like you'd, like you'd said before, so, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and, and, you know, spoke a lot about the book of Job, and, you know, I still, like, and again, like, I read it, it's like, okay, so this isn't supposed to be taken seriously, I don't really care for the message that it's portraying anyway, but at least mm-hmm. it gives a different perspective when you're not trying to take it as being literal you know so exactly. um, it gives it a lot of different flavor yeah it does <laughs> like I'm wait like, this isn't i'm not supposed to believe this actually happened oh yeah and that make, then then from there you can take it as like okay well can i get a lesson from this or not get a lesson from it i do not but mm. that's okay because you know i don't think anyone that you know it, it's very different trying to get a lesson from something rather than believing yeah. something crack, batshit crazy to be true you know like those are two whole different things so so and, and actually, in like 10 years you might get a lesson from it like there's a lot of stuff i look back on and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, but whereas that didn't make any sense to me, you know, 10 or 20, whenever, you know, long time oh, ago. So. Exactly. I mean, just as much as you would get anything out of, you know, one of Aesop's fables, you know, yeah. why not? Why or, not get or an some... album, you know? Exactly. Like, exactly. Just, so yeah. it's, I like looking at it when you're, when you're trying, not taking it that seriously or not taking it as being literal, then it, it, you can drop your guard and like take something more yes. valuable out of it, which, which, you know. I, I want to be able to do it because I'm not a fucking fool. So, <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, but um, but one thing I was curious about that both of them were talking about was they they would seem to take things from the Bible. Obviously, I'm coming at it from an atheist perspective. So, um, but they'll you know say you know this isn't you know this is allegory. This is you know not literal. Blah blah blah. But then. They'd say, well, we're supposed to look at this this way because the Bible tells us this. It's like it's almost using the mm-hmm. Bible as a way to look at mm-hmm. the Bible. Like saying, well, did uh, did this guy kill that person? Why don't we ask him? Did you kill him? Why don't we ask? No, did I would never kill? do okay, a thing like that. Well, he says he wouldn't do a thing like that, so I guess he didn't. You know, it, to me, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like that. There was, um, I think Roland said... Um, 
the Bible makes it clear that um, idolatry is not what God wants. But, you know, so mm-hmm. again, if you're doing all this deconstructing stuff, I'm like, well, why are we then believing that thing from the Bible? You know what I mean? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sort of, I'm, I'm taking, I'm, I'm sort of confused about, about that sort of thing where these, you know, people are. And then other things, they both tend to, see, to, uh, to accept revelation, which I think that mm-hmm. becomes the defining point between just looking at it as a as a sort of somewhat historical text versus as mm-hmm. a as a as a holy uh, divine text, you know, because in Marcus Borg's book he said something like um, something along the lines of, you know, well, we, as for you know all the prophets, you know, should we believe that these are divine revelations from God? Well, we know that these have happened, so there's no reason to think that these aren't true. And I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> about? That said that? Oh, Marcus wait, what's Borg. This guy's name? Marcus Borg. He's, a, he's quite, okay. quite quite the scholar, but yeah, if you want to do some more research on And what this was guy. the name he or what was the name of the book the, uh, that he wrote? He wrote the book, uh, reading the Bible again for the first time. Okay. And is he is he coming out from a Christian perspective or something? Yes, sort, he's a or? Christian. He's a Christian. Okay. Um did you get Peter Rollins saying any? Bleh, let me back up. I don't really like that Marcus said that. Like, yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't seem like a, a statement yes, that you Stephanie, can really make. Stephanie, why with... are you Christians saying that? Because <laughs> that doesn't seem like something Peter Rollins would say. No, no, like... no. No, I'm not. Like I'm, I'm, I'm convoluting like, sort of the two, yeah. the two things because I read them at the same time. I'm not saying he's saying that, but like he would say yeah, things, yeah. take things from the Bible, and I felt like. Yeah, the Bible says we're supposed to do this, so let's be objective because of that. And yeah, and I'm like, yeah, that example I gave. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, does that sound like where do you stand on Revelation? Like, you know, it's uh, to me like that. I, when I in my reading, that seems like the the basis of it all. Like, do you believe that or not? You know, I don't. Away all the I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's it's such it's really freaky because it's um, John had a vision and this is like his vision that he's writing down about what the end days would look like and right. I don't know what to do with it, you know. But I'm really fascinated by it. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, can you imagine? You know, if this was real, like holy shit! If I saw this, that's stuff, a I'd crazy be down, fucking you know? but, dream or revelation or whatever it is to have. You know, all that end yeah, that was shit. quite a revelation if he had it. And so I, it's like I don't know what what to do with that. Was he on acid? Was he or, you know, was did he have a fever? You know, like why, why, was he? Is he just making it up? You know, so. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm like, oh gosh, this is crazy. And it's like that footprints poem where I remember you know, when we were talking about that. You're like, what do you think of that? And I'm like, I think I think about it um, the way I always have, which is like, that sounds kind of cool, and I want it to be true. Right, right, right. <laughs> I want like I want the evil to get smacked down in the end. You know, which is yes. kind of what I see revel- happening in Revelation. Aside from the seven-headed dragon and, and seraphim and cherubim like flying around, like what the hell is that? But yeah. Um, so I guess the overarching theme is that is that justice will prevail, which is lovely, you know, and, and it's kind of an but in in every culture they have myths towards that as well. Um, is it like? You know, do you think could it be like some sort of uh, action? in times apocalyptic film of today where it just sort of has some sort of triumph at the end you know what i mean is it do you think it's just got that kind of tale like all the way down to charlie and the chocolate factory that if you do good you know after all this shit goes down you know you'll be rewarded do you think it's just like a crazy you know very descriptive allegory for that i mean it's so out there (laughs) yeah it could be and and i i mean it's literature like the bible is literature and i want my kids to know it but i want to know all kinds of literature just because that's what it is you know so um i'm curious towards it in that sense and i'm all you know i'm kind of a mystic though as you know so i'm also kind of holding it with an open hand like what the fuck you know maybe and there's something about it that i'm really drawn towards that you know just um, you know, just the whole spiritual stuff that I, I just feel kind of this this um, kind of draw towards it. Like I, from the center of my chest, I'm just kind of like there's something um, in there that I'm I'm just pulled towards. But I can't say yes, I believe that. So, right. Um, I, but I feel good about being in this <laughs> in this space where. I'm I'm kind of open with it and and confused by it and have people to talk to about it on all different um, parts of the spectrum whether they believe it or not or, yeah. or other kind of strains of belief I guess but um, I, I will go on record as saying it's some crazy shit going on in Revelation <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess that's where I land on that but with um, Peter Rollins kind of talking about how to look at like you were saying how to look at the Bible. Um, the way the Bible says to look at it. Um, 
um, let me see. He, because he was talking about this sort of thing when I heard his lecture, like mm -hmm. on Friday night, and he was um, kind of he was deconstructing it. So I guess the deconstructionist thing is what he's about, where he wants you to take down um, your preconceived notions. And um, I think I actually think that part of that is is to say, okay, you know, let's take down our notions and um, look at the Bible the way it says, and what does it look like. Right. When we look at it from the way it's saying, but I don't think he's saying this is the truth. I think this is like he's like this is one way to look at it. You know, if we're going to look at this this piece of writing um, in this text, um, the way it says to, why not? You know, let's let's see what it looks like from that angle. So yeah. I kind of see him doing that and that being part of his deconstructing it. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. No, 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 no. It totally does. Does it? Okay. Yeah. Because what's really refreshing about him is that he doesn't say, here it is. Here's what you need to believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what was but it? But he was... does say that he's a Christian. Like, yeah. he, will, he will say that in public, and I think that's interesting, too. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd say, I noted this down. Um, he said the atheistic approach. And by that, he's saying a slash theistic. So it's is that sort of saying mm -hmm. it's 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 both? You're, 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 you're sort of huh. sitting on the fence of that? Like, that's how he writes yeah. atheistic a lot. Um, throughout throughout the book, um, the atheistic approach can be seen as a form of disbelieving uh, what one believes, or rather, believing in God while remaining dubious concerning what one believes hmm. about God. Hmm. So, um, yeah. So, proceed, again, that to me was like deciding you're going to believe in God. You know, so um, it, it didn't feel as deconstructionist as I would have liked. You know, it wasn't really sure. uh, taking the idea that maybe he's not there at all. You know, which is you know obviously what I think. If you're really questioning, you you'd be weighing as well. And I'm mm -hmm. not saying he hasn't done that in other places, but uh, in, in regards to this book, uh, I wasn't really seeing mm -hmm. any of that. So yeah, but because I like the whole you know deconstructionist uh, element to it. But yeah, but you know I mm -hmm. want to go the whole hog. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was saying something funny about um, about the atheism theism thing. He and he thinks that atheism is closer to theism. Than other stuff because of, of the intensity of the passion of people saying they don't believe it because um, he was saying what do the what are what do the Amish or the Mennonites think about Chick Fil A, you know they don't care they're not doing anything they're they're planting their fields and he's like so they're 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 more apathetic <laughs> right right but, so he was kind of taking that tack and I don't so I think I can just see his his philosophical mind like having positions and, and quotes by Nietzsche and Kant on. Uh, <laughs> being theist, theistic might be closer to theism just for the sake of having an opinion, but I, I don't know. I don't no, know I think that, it's, it's it's like you're the reason we have such a strong opinion about it, and we have a strong opinion about Chick Fil A, is because you know it's it's we're surrounded by this all the time. You know what I mean? Now legislation mm -hmm. is happening. You know, gays can't get married because of this. And if it wasn't a problem, I think then we wouldn't feel compelled to speak up as much. You know what I mean? I'd just be like, well, whatever. Yeah. And I had a period of like, like I couldn't believe anyone would believe this. And I'm like, can't you see? I'm wanting to argue with people. And I totally mellowed out. And I'm, I'm mostly in the mellow phase. But if it comes up, I'm like, oh, you know. What are you doing? How can you do this to people based on your religious beliefs? How can you be so sure? You know, and when you when you right. see people enforcing stuff, that's when people get worked up. So I think it's sort of an activism, really, in terms of trying to protect um, people's people's freedom. Because I think and I think that's why people get worked up because it's 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 very active, you know. Mm -hmm. So and it's kind of a um, it's kind of a divine. He would say it's kind of a divine impulse. I think to be concerned. Um, uh, you know, for the, on, from the activism angle, I yes, think. Yes, yes. But I, I don't know. I, I don't, don't think know. it's we divine. We need to have him on the show. I think <laughs> we, we yes, totally do. He likes to say divine a lot. Yes, I would love to <laughs> have him on be, the show. We that need to. That would be yes. fun. Excellent. Have an end. <laughs> so I have, um, in the religious vein, I got a message before we started recording from my friend who was kicked out of Mars Hill Church. When? Um... I, he was kicked out a few months ago and okay. um, he and I are friends and I'm, since I've kind of got the spiritual abuse um, cause <laughs> cheerleading he and I kind of connected and he's upset rightly so as you all will probably be when you read this email that he gave me permission to read to you um, so he introduced um, these people while he was still going to Mars Hill Church and they're still there and they're getting married in October um, so they used to be very good friends of him and um, with him, and he just um, got this email from them. It says, um, "Dear so and so, 
<laughs> this person who got kicked out of Marcel Church, excommunicated. Um, my fiance and I aren't comfortable with having you at our wedding. We still consider you a friend, but we are concerned that your presence would draw attention away from the work God's done in our lives and bringing us together and would add unnecessary tension for us and our guests. Our decision has nothing to do with Mars Hill and everything to do with the behavior and attitude over the last several months that we've seen in your interactions with our friends, with each of us, and stuff you've posted on Facebook, as well as the way you've acted towards women. I hope you don't take offense our decision, but rather respect it. So this is the email he got. That seems really disrespectful and shitty, and I hate it. I hate it so feel? much. How does he feel? Like, is his heart broken? Hey, I'm sure he's so sad, yeah. but I think he's still in the shock phase because he had just gotten it, and he sent it to me, and I'm like, those, you know, total pricks. They're horrible friends. I'm so sorry they're doing this to you. But I go, what have you been posting on Facebook? Because I've only seen him post stuff, like, uh, against Chick-fil-A's, you know, anti-homosexual stance, and, um... He posted one thing, like like some Huffington Post thing about women's sex drive, and he goes, "Yeah, they did, that's what they said. That's what they were talking about when I said that um, when they said they don't like my attitude towards women. That I posted something like women have a sex drive." Oh my god! So, I knew I fucking knew it was gonna be something <sighs> like that. You know, just something too pro women. Just oh man. Yeah, and and anti-homosexual that whole thing. So um, anyway, I read this letter from them as being being really dismissive and um the opposite of something a friend would do like for them to say your interactions and your behavior it's like why don't if you're really friends why don't you talk to him so uninvite him from your wedding they actually say we still consider you a friend i cannot believe they say that yeah so anyway, that just seems abusive. This is the word for my. That's the word I feel to describe that. It seems like an abusive email, and um, heads up, people, because I've gotten emails like that from people in church in my past, and I've you know I've felt very guilty and felt uncomfortable with it and felt kind of wrongly accused, but I didn't know what to do with that. So um, if any of you have gotten one, let's talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you my analysis and <laughs> reframe it for you. So that, you know that they're assholes and you not you aren't necessarily so that's right we'll demand for that yeah um we got an itunes review from 77 percent dark chocolate it was super nice and um so we have to say thank you an official thank you um we really encourage you guys to leave itunes reviews because they make us really happy. Yes. <laughs> no matter what they say, they're really bad. Yeah, and so also it helps our ratings it. on iTunes. And I want to, my dream, <laughs> obviously it's a long way off because we don't have the power of Zoe de Chanel behind us, but I want to beat the Hello Giggles podcast. <laughs> That's my secret <laughs> dream. Maybe I'm aiming too high, but I just want to shit on that fucking bullshit. <sighs> they're the 17 magazine of the podcast world, oh. is who they are. But they think they're the sassy magazine of the podcast. So crappy. I actually haven't heard the podcast, but I know what the website's like, and it makes me fucking puke. I can't handle the website. No. It's I'm not. I'm not that strong of a person. No. So on that note, um, we love you, and we will talk to you next week. So till next time, bye, Simone. Bye, Stephanie. Bye.
This podcast operates independently in partnership with FeralAudio.com, an artist-friendly podcast collective. This artist reserves the rights to their materials. Visit FeralAudio.com for other original shows and learn about our community of artists that help make this collective possible. Thank you for listening to this podcast.